You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Stand for the reading of Scripture. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 27. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God, and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Thank you, Nancy. You can have a seat. I'm I'm itching to get into it, but before we uh, go into the sermon, uh, just a couple of other things I wanted to highlight that um, I think might be relevant for some of you. Uh, One is that a special part of our anniversary Sunday on the 17th, we're actually going to be celebrating baptisms. Um, So you see there the code as well. We have that one common code that takes you to all the resources, but you can also find information about baptism there. Um, for, at our church, we believe baptism is something that God has gifted as a means to publicly declare your faith in Jesus Christ. Um, it doesn't mean we diminish those who have different traditions, but for us, we affirm that what we believe Scripture teaches, those who would publicly or those who would believe in Jesus, you should now get baptized. So if that's relevant for you, or if you have questions about it, uh, go to that uh, link, just check off, I'm interested in baptism, and we'll follow up with you and see. And maybe it's not too soon, even for possibly the 17th, that we already have a couple of people signed up for it. Would love for you to join that. If the 17th doesn't work, obviously we can make other times work as well. But baptisms for us are just a big party because it's a way to celebrate tangibly life change and transformation. If that's you, let us know. We would love to walk in that journey. Even if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, you might have never been baptized. So let us know. We would love to um, walk through that with you. And another announcement, and some of you, this might not be relevant at all. It's okay. You're still invited. But particularly our college students, if that's you in the room, we have a special thing going on next Sunday right after worship. We're going to be staying in here uh, where we're going to just welcome you a little bit more intentionally, but go over the theme of how to thrive in college. Uh, We know it's it's, I know some of you are coming here because you're looking to kill it in life and you're going to get that degree and do all that. And cool, I hope you kill it. But our hope is to show you that in God's ways, he has you here for even bigger reasons than that. So, and we want to just get to know you. It's going to be a lot of fun. Food's going to be provided. So obviously, if some of your college students, you are welcome to be there. Please be there. But let others know as well. Great time to explore the church. Um, so uh, we are doing this series called DNA. Um, usually we just preach through books of the Bible, but every so often we take little uh, breaks and, and a little more thematically. But this theme of DNA, we're looking at some of the things that make us who we are. Um, 
Last week, we looked at our vision, kind of, if you want to think about vision, it's where we want to be headed, uh, the why, and we looked at the idea of reconciliation, that our church, our vision statement is reconciliation with God and with one another. It's all about relationships. Um, so if you missed that, go feel free to find uh, on YouTube or our church website that, but today, uh, we're going to continue by looking at how. Um, as we explore what makes the village who we are, we're looking at how, and we're talking about our mission. And mission, if you want to understand mission, vision is where we want to go to, how is we understand our strategy, like how are we going to get there? That's mission for us. And our mission to village is really not that complex. It's transforming lives and transforming communities. And we want to see lives, it's really not like Greek, right? It's transforming lives. How do lives get impacted by knowing who Jesus is and then how that impacts communities? And we're going to unpack that more as we go into it today. But part of transformation, and, and again, our church is not better than other churches. I want to make really clear. But sometimes what we try to do is take things that we might hear in words or terminology and, and maybe invite a different way than we might be used to in understanding it. And I think one aspect of that is then um, when we understand transformation at the village, I think there's some thinking required even when we talk about things like church, like the word church, like what church means. So for a lot of us, and maybe even some of us here, and whether maybe you don't even know who Jesus is, probably when we think about church, we're envisioning like this. Like what we do, you're like a worship service. That's like church. We even say that, right? Like, I'm going to church. What do we mean I'm going to this religious gathering that's centered around some of these historic or cultural traditions, like preaching and music and the Lord's Supper, and, and that's all really important. But we, a lot of times when we think church, this way, it might be inviting in a, a rethinking that when we think an event or some kind of religious service, but here's what I want to also say. There's absolutely some truth to that. Like part of being a church is gathering like this, that this is really important. I, I think it's significant if we're going to follow Jesus to have some way that we come together with other people, that when we sing and when we pray, when we listen to preaching, when we come to the Lord's Supper, the communion, I think it's, it's of high value because it's hopefully directing our gaze towards God in worship. That's really the goal of what we do. Like, it's helping us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So I think, I, I hope when we gather corporately like this, it matters. Especially in a culture right now that says, does, it, does God really care if we're sitting in a room together? That's, that's so, man, don't reduce God to that. I would say, yeah, let's get into it a little bit more. But don't diminish the gathered people of God together. It's important. I think, honestly, I think it's a reminder for me. I don't know what you think about me. Maybe you think I'm holier. Maybe you think I'm a, a schlub. For me, I can get really self-centered. Don't raise your hand if that's you too, right? My world, I'm the sun and everything else revolves around me. Worship is such a good invitation for me to be reminded everything's not about me. It's good to be with other people. It's actually good to sing some songs that I don't know how to sing, but other people do. And they're worshiping God, and I'm like, I, I don't even know how to clap, right? With that. It's good. There's, there's value in that. I would also say corporate worship, some of that, there's a sacrificial aspect to coming here. And I want to be real, real. 
Um, for some around the world, it's like literally sacrifice. To put your face in public saying that you follow Jesus, to gather together, you are putting your life on the line, your livelihood, your family. So let's not, be, let's not like casually say sacrifice, but like little s sacrifice, there's some of that for you. Maybe even some of you are like, yo, there's some bike race going through Baltimore today. And it added on like five minutes to my commute. There, there are some hurdles you have to sometimes get across to be here. Like, let's be real, real. You're like, I mean, the spirit of God's everywhere, right? We could like video watch worship and just be able to stay in our jammies. And I mean, there's something that you kind of like to have to brush your teeth early and get dressed, comb your hair and drive somewhere and be here. There's some act of sacrifice. But again, that's part of our formation. It's not a bad thing. So I say all that to be clear, that some of our rethinking that I talked about, it's not about whether we gather or not. I hope that's clear. We are supposed to gather together. But I do believe we can lose sight of God's bigger story if the church becomes just about this. If, if all that village is is just having a weekly service, I feel as good as it might be, I feel like we're missing out on a little of what God's intended us to be. And, and I want you to soak in this idea that the church is, is one of God's ways of transforming lives and communities. That the church is actually a vehicle through which God invites us into transformation, but not just for ourselves, but that will have a ripple effect beyond us. So I want to look at one passage that walks us through some of this in the book of Acts uh, I think we looked at this in the past, so it's, it should be familiar. But chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the freedmen's synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. So they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also prevent, presented false witnesses who said, This man never stopped speaking against this holy place in the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And this has no relevance for the sermon. It's not in the Bible. But yo, if you're going to beef with someone and their face is shining like an angel, run away. It's about to get really bad. But that's, that's for free, right? But, but we see here, Stephen, if you read early, he's one of the first deacons. He's one of the first servant leaders. He's described as a man of full of faith and the Holy Spirit. But what he was, and it's a good reminder, you can be doing everything right and still be accused of being wrong. Just because you get opposition, don't automatically assume that you're doing the wrong thing. Because Stephen was going in the right direction, but he was being accused, and he's being accused of blasphemy. I don't know what that means for your ears. In those times, that was really bad. Basically, they were saying, this guy, this joker's against God. And they're saying, he's taking all of our customs, all of our traditions that have anchored us, he's dishonoring Moses. Yo, who dishonors Moses? 
And he's taking our temple that's required sacrifice and prayed over. And it's the house of worship of God. And yo, he, this joker is just dishonoring all of that. So, so Stephen, he's been accused of these things. So he's got an opportunity to defend himself now. But instead, he gives this epic speech starting in chapter 7. And just look at some of the highlights in verses 2. He says, Brothers and fathers, he replied, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran and said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land I will show you. And yo, our, our, our homie going straight to Abraham. He going straight to the father, right? Father of the tribe. And he's saying, we all hold Abraham in high esteem as the calling God gave him for our people of Israel. But yo, you remember Abraham was not from around here. He was a stranger. He was a foreigner. And just this idea that the Hebrew nation, um, the founding of it occurred in Mesopotamia, not Jerusalem, not in the Holy Center. And from there, Stephen, he goes on to give all these descriptions of God's work to rescue his people and use his servants like the patriarchs, Joseph, Moses. And he very intentionally, this is like uh, Law 101, right? He lays out his case to show them very clearly all of this powerful work of God. It actually happened outside of our religious geographic centers. It, it didn't happen here in the temple. Oftentimes, this is fascinating. This is a whole other sermon. So much of it happened in the wilderness. And maybe for some of you, you're like in the wilderness of life right now. It's dry and barren. Don't automatically assume you can't meet God there. God is at work even in some of the dustiest, driest places of life in our own hearts. And, and we see that, right? We see where the law was given in verse 38 to Moses. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness. Catch it, right? With the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, he received living oracles to give to us. The Hebrew nation, they didn't hold many things higher than the law. The law, they, they actually really desired to worship God and they believed it was through the law. But what Stephen is saying, the law was given to Moses in the desert, not at the temple in Jerusalem. Verse 44, he, he brings it home. He says, our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses commanded him to make it according to the pattern he had seen. Our ancestors in turn received it, and with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house. This is really important. But the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? So he's walking them through like tons of beautiful redemptive history, and it brings it home to say, this temple that we hold in such high esteem, yeah, it did get built, not by David, but by his boy Solomon. And it's beautiful, it's great, but y'all need to recognize this is not the center of who God is. What, what Stephen's trying to say is, God never dwelled among his people because they had built him a fancy house or, or an elaborate cathedral. 
He, he never has and he never will. It doesn't mean that it's not proud. I love our church. I love stained glass. But that's not why God's here. And Stephen, I think God was speaking prophetically through him. He was showing him what was to come. And I think he even got it a little bit earlier than some of his other peers. Um, and, and, you know, again, unjustly, his words were twisted to defame him. But there was actually some truth to the claims that they were making against him when he was saying, it, it's not about the, the temple here in Jerusalem or it's not about God's presence in the law. And ultimately, but he was saying, this movement of this Jesus, there's no way it's going to be contained within man-made walls. How big is your God? You think you can cage this lion within this cathedral? As beautiful as it looks, you think God is like relegated to that building? You think that you can like conjure him up like a genie if you just give the right prayers and law and then suddenly he'll be at your beck and call? He's God. He's not, there's no way that's going to happen. But these were fighting words. And if you read further, it's what led him to, at least our knowledge, become the first person who was killed because he followed Jesus. Because they were offended. But I would suggest that for us here in 2023, uh, Stephen says some things that are a timely reminder for, for our church even of, of our mission of transforming lives and transforming communities, but really the larger mission that we have. So again, I just want to be really clear here because I've been misquoted in the past. So in case anyone going to misquote me, I love corporate worship. All right? Full stop. I love gathering together. I, I, I believe, as I showed earlier, I believe it's part of our, um, the way we grow. I even love that we get to do it in this building. And we are a blessed We've received much favor that we started here 15 years ago, and we've never had to move. I mean, we had some AC issues, and we had some heating issues, so we had to meet in other places. But our home base has always been here, and I love the fact, I know some of y'all and non-traditionalists, so you don't even like stained glass because it brings up different memories. I think it's pretty cool, right? I go walk around someday and just look at the beautiful stained glass in a sunny day like this. You see like stories and stories of faithful saints to help build some of what we're able to receive from here. It's glorious. I love when we sing it and sometimes there's like a thing of light that comes through during the songs and it's like, oh, it's like it feels like you're at the angels. It's great. I love it, right? We do need some cushions in the sheets, uh, in the pews. Maybe we'll do a fundraising campaign for that, but my brain's all over but here's the thing, as beautiful as this is here, the truth is lightning could hit this building one night. We got a lot of wood in this building, right? Lightning could hit this building one night, set the thing whole, whole thing ablaze, burn it to the ground. I guarantee you I will be crying, but we would then tell our operations director, yo, send out a slack, tell everyone, yo, the church burned down. But we're still the church because we're going to continue to meet in homes. Go meet in your restaurants. Heck, even meet in the pubs. We're, meet wherever you are because it's a reminder for us that the church would still be present even if this building's not because you are all the church. We, the people of God, are the church. Um, as beautiful as this space is, we can't make a mistake to make this the centerpiece of our worship. 
like the building itself. The people of God transformed by the Spirit of God, that's what's sacred, not a building alone. Amen? For some of us, that might require some rethinking of what it means to be transformed, what it means to even be the church. Because I think it requires us, we have to get away from segmenting a couple of hours of our life on Sunday morning and saying, that's church. Like, 10 o'clock to 12, like, that's when I do church. We've got, and again, that's part of church. But I mean, even, I love how Dave led us today where we try to be intentional even when we sing that we don't want to say, now let's get ready to worship. It's absolutely worship. It's musical worship, which is one of the most prominent kinds, but it's not the only form of worship because in Christ, all of our life is worship. Everything we give and present to him and offer, it's a living sacrifice of worship. Because, and maybe, hopefully you haven't been part of churches like this, but if our worship is just our singing and there's no other hint of God's presence in our lives, I mean, that's just noise. I mean, it might be a really pretty noise, but ultimately that's just noise. Because we got to recognize again, why do we gather like this here at the village? Why do we put a big deal about coming for worship gathering? Because we believe that when we're singing these songs or, or we're listening to these sermons, when we're being united in fellowship, we're serving here on Sundays in different ways, those things are to equip us to be sent back out into the world to represent God. The reason we do all of this is partly for here, to worship God and experience that, but it's also to equip us to send us back out to where we spend probably 166 hours of the rest of your week, other than the two hours here. I think it's what 2 Corinthians 5, we looked at this last week, I think it's worth looking again, uh, talking about, again, the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18, everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul, you know, this sermon is not getting into every detail here, but basically he's describing, he's telling the world, this is what it looks like to be saved. And I know that's a Christian kind of lingo word. Basically, how does it be made into right relationship with God? How to have your uh, rebellion forgiven? How to have your life restored the way it was meant to be? And he describes it at the end there, the last verse, and verse. It comes through the work of this Jesus Christ who became your righteousness. So he's describing here, here's what it means to be saved. And he's saying this then. He's like, Yo, you want to know how this is true? You want to know why we think this is true? Look at me. Look at us. Look at our lives. We are God's receipts that his work is to save. If you want to look at God's demonstration of his work, he's saying, look at the people of God whose lives have been transformed. That is God's very stamp of his redemptive work. And I got to be real. 
I, I mean, I like efficiency, so I'm like, there's got to be a much better way that God could do it. Because some of that, as I look at my life, like, I'm such a screw-up. Seriously? I'm going to be God's representative? Yeah! God is saying, the way I'm going to choose to represent myself to a broken, hurting, rebellious world is by showing them my people whose lives are transformed, whose lives have been forgiven, who still sometimes have a hard time getting along, but they're working at it. They're growing in this. They're learning to forgive one another. They're learning to become generous. They're being healed of some of their trauma and their pain. They're trusting him even when life gives them no evidence that I'm real. They're choosing to come. We are God's demonstration. Did you catch that last verse? We are given the very righteousness of God. It says that what that means is we get to exhibit to our world, you want to know who Jesus is? Look at my life. Look at our lives. Look at our community. Simply to a world that's separated from God, our transformed lives are God's living message that they can also have their life transformed. And that's, guys, that's, what's, that's what we're ultimately talking about when we say mission at our church. And I want to be really clear here. Obviously, when we say mission, we talk about going to different places around the world in our city. It, it obviously involves activities. I know some of you have even done that. Um, we, we should be doing that. But along with that, when we talk about mission at the village, our focus is just as much on who you're becoming. Like, your character. Your inner parts that no one else might see. Like who you are. Even the redemption of some of your very wounded past. Like all those aspects are for us just as much about mission. Because again, your transformed life is one of God's most effective ways of proclaiming to the world that he's real. Not just a lot of activities. Not even filling up stadiums. That's all cool. But your transformed life is God saying, hey world, I'm real, and I love you. Look at this guy. Look at her. Look, how, look what I've done in them that's also available for you. Again, our mission is transforming lives and transforming communities. What that means for us then here is the transforming lives part. I hope that's kind of, I think that makes more sense, right? We want to see you experience real change. And the reason we make it explicit is, and I've met them, right? I've met people who've been in church for like their whole life and they've stopped changing. It's like going to Cracker Barrel at that point, right? <laughs> With less good goodies. Church can easily become a place that we do just because that's culturally what we're supposed to do. Our mama don't get mad at us, whatever it might be. And we never want to lose sight of the fact that one of the reasons we're here is that God promises to continue to change us. It's never you're changed once and now you're good. You, you're saved, but you're always growing in transformation. But here's the part I love about our mission. So we want to see lives being transformed, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But we also want to see communities transformed. What that means for us is, in one sense, our mission, obviously this village community. Because we can't, we, you can't separate personal transformation from communal transformation. That a community of people, the village church, we will be different as lives are being transformed. But guys, you got to get this part if you're going to understand mission at the village. I'm not just talking about communities here. I'm talking about your study groups on campus. I'm talking about your neighbors and your community association. I'm talking about the people who are at your gym that you run into and they just look at your pecs and they're like, wow, 
you have some kind of power about you. Who gives you this power? Don't say Jesus, that'd be weird. But like people that you're running together with, right? Maybe people that you do volo with, do sports throughout the city. Maybe for some of you, if your family's in the city, it's like your family members, your friends, whoever it might be. When we say transforming lives, transforming communities, what we're envisioning is that you come to the village and through all the different means you have, you receive the grace of Jesus. Your life is changed. You are the better version of you than you could be. God's always loved you, but he wants you to live in the fullness of those things. But here, this is the part that's so exciting. It doesn't just stop with you. It's like, it's almost like we gather here. Hopefully we have great worship, but it's like launching you out to different places all over the city. And in that sense, when I think about who villages, it's so much more than like a couple hundred people gathered together. Like we are representing people I would never meet in my normal course of conversation. You are interacting with people that our elders are never going to be sitting down for a discipleship session with. You are doing studying and walking with and lifting and whatever with people who might not be in this room anytime soon singing these great songs, but they are experiencing the presence of Jesus. Why? Because they're experiencing you. Amen? Like that's our mission strategy. I love what we do at the village. I hope you never hear me say otherwise, but what I also love is all of the things I'm not seeing happening beyond a Sunday morning because that's the power of the church going forth. So for example, some of you, some of you I know are medical doctors, for instance. You might be like, hey, pastor, that's cool and all, but I can't like talk about Jesus because I'm going to lose my license and I got to be. You know what? As someone who's gone through some medical stuff with my family, there is such power when the person you're entrusting with your physical health or your loved ones, you can tell something's different about them. Like they believe more than even their great education when they're treating you. You can tell, even though they can't say the words P-R-A-Y, like the way that they're communicating, you know they're praying for you. Like there's power wherever we are at, even if we can explicitly or not use the name of Jesus, the presence of Christ goes through you. So, it, and, and guys, for me at least, and I hope you guys are getting it, it transforms what church can mean. Um, because if we approach church as this training ground, how do we get fluent in this new kingdom language of gospel? Like how do, it goes beyond, it helps us to understand then because it's something that we can all, like maybe for some of you, your greatest struggle in life is your work. Like you're like, yo, if pastor, if I could be like you and just come to church and work one hour a week, my life would be great. Your life must be so good. All you do is work one hour a week. Man, can I, how can I sign up for that gig? But me, oh man, I got to go into this workplace and around knuckleheaded. I'm, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. But yo, they knuckleheaded and like petty, not hardworking. They just get my goat, pastor. I, I, I. Man, what would it look like within the church then? You're talking about those aspects of your life. Maybe some of your students and saying, man, I am just so tempted daily to define my worth based on how well I'm doing in school. I hear the messages all around me, but my, my identity is a number. And if I don't reach that metrics, I'm a loser. I, I might as well just like not exist. 
What does it look like in that kind of settings to lay our whole lives before God and say, God, thank you for the gospel that my worth is based on what the King Jesus has done for me, not what I can accomplish in my work or in my school. That when I go to work, it's not just to pay my bills, which it is, but you've also put me intentionally there to be in the presence of people who probably need you, like I need you. Like it's a different way to think mission. I don't know, maybe this is a little uncomfortable, but I know in our church, we got some married people, we got some parents, and it's really hard. Stuff that probably will not be shared here on a Sunday, but like really hard. What would it look like at the village where we start really getting into those things and say, you know what? I know that that person who married you promised that life is going to get like, like a Disney movie after you get married. Why are we always grumpy and fighting? Why can't we get along? Why is she suddenly so evil when she was so beautiful before? Why? why, why? What would it look like to be able to submit those and say, how, what does the gospel speak to that? What does it speak to this nature of relationships that says constantly, you got to die to yourself. You can't be in relationship with others because that's what Jesus did for you. And that actually being in relationship, it's going to show you how you're not able to die yourself on your own strength. But that's why you need Jesus. That you can't be a good friend the way you want without Jesus. Because and, and the reason I'm saying this is we have to get beyond. I love Bible study, but even as we're talking about community groups, the goal of those is not just to have good Bible studies. We're, we, we are tragically like over-informed in our Christian culture. We know way too much, but we need a place where we're taking some of that knowledge and providing wisdom into real-life situations that we're walking through. Guys, for our well-being, but you know what? Also, there are people in your lives that you run across every day that if you tell them, hey, I've got this great church community called The Village. You should come join me. They'd be like, ah, cool for you. I'm good golfing on that day, right? I don't need to do that. But if you say, hey, um, my marriage has been really hard and I'm finding hope in the midst of that, everyone's ears perk up. Because <laughs> it doesn't matter if you got the Jesus thing or not. You're like, okay, this is hard. How do you become a parent without wanting to throw your kid through a window? Like, this, how do you do that? How, why do you seem to love your kids so much and actually want to spend time with them? It's just an opportunity to talk about gospel. And guys, this is a mission strategy that's more, and I got nothing against going out with like Bible tracks. I'm cool with that, right? I'm cool with that. But I also think there's a real strategic way to talk about gospel, even if you're having to be a little wise about how you do that. Maybe a little subversive even. Like secret invasion type of stuff, right? For some of you Marvel folks. And that's why gathering like this is so important, guys. It's why it's so critical to mission, because it's why groups, prayer, why we hold such high value to them, because it's all about transformation. The reason we do all that we do at this church is to provide space for transformation to happen. We can't make it happen, but we can provide the space and, and relations to build for transformation to happen to equip you to be God's representative people even when you're outside of these walls. And it's an outflow of what we see described in, in Acts 17. Uh, that Nancy read from just a couple of verses from there. From one man, he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this 
so that they might see God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. This is astounding. And this was part of Paul's speech as he was delivering it from some very smart people. Basically, he was saying there are no accidents to where you are, where you live, who you are with, who's your neighbors, who you were born into. There are no accidents. God has mapped that out. And he has you where he would want to be. So I know some of you, you're in Baltimore because uh, this is my top choice for school. This is the only place that took me for school. Whatever brought you here, that, that God used that. But you also need to recognize God brought you here so that you, if you follow him, would be in the relational orbs of those around you. Like your dorm mates, your, the co-workers, your neighbors. It's not just random happenstance. God has placed you where he would want you to be to represent him. With that hope that they might reach out and find him. What an amazing hope. There's no accidents to where you guys are. So again, at The Village, our mission, we want to help you to experience transformation because we believe it's going to go beyond you. Just a couple of ways, a few ways I wanted to highlight steps to grow in transformation. One, just really simple, grow in transformation by following Jesus. Grow in transformation by following Jesus. And again, you see the QR codes there to take you to the Connect card. I, I know this because I've been talking with some of you. Some of you are at a place where God is doing good work in your life right now. Maybe, maybe you've never had any background with Jesus or the church before, but praise God, he's brought you into this place and you're exploring. Maybe today you would either say or declare, and you don't even have to tell someone, but let us know if you can. Say, you know what? Something's clicked. I realized that where I was far from God, Jesus did the work to bring me close. And now he's made an ability for me to have right relation with this God where I was in rebellion and running. All he's done is show me kindness and forgiveness. And he wants me to be part of his family. And I want, I want to express that. Maybe some of you, you've been in church your whole stinking life. And you've always called yourself a Christian, but just to be really honest, ask yourself, do I trust that my whole life, both on this earth, but for all eternity, it's safe in God's hands? Or am I just trying to be a good person? Or do I just go to a religious meeting? Again, only you can really define that. No one can like say that about you. But I would invite you, and it might feel scary because you're like, I'm questioning everything I've ever believed. God wants you to experience real life, not just more tradition. Maybe for you, one of the most courageous things you could do is express and let us know, hey, I, I want to know who Jesus is and see if I actually do follow him. Maybe we can help you to know, yeah, you actually do. You're just struggling with normal doubt that we all do. Praise God. But yeah, you are. But let someone know. So go to that card and just let us know. Check off. I want to know about following Jesus, and we'd love to talk with you about that. But I love in our church... Just at this space, we've seen many people start new life in God, and maybe for some of you, that would also be your story. Another, another step to grow in transformation is join a group, and I know we talked about this earlier, so I'm not going to get into it too much, but go there again. And just join a group. I'm reminded transformation doesn't just happen on our own. If transformation is just about reading a book and learning more, you've signed up for the wrong faith, guys. Because we're relational people. You're meant to walk through with others. 
and, and just on a, on a tangent, brief tangent, and I've experienced this, right, just personally, sometimes you need people not just to bounce off one another how much you know, but when you feel like you don't know nothing, and you're drowning, and life is terrible, and you've been raised in all this great doctrine, but you've hit a point in life you're just questioning it all. You're like, why is life so terrible right now? Because we need spaces of community to also lament. This is never meant to be like a happy, happy, joy, joy. Oh, praise the Lord because everything's good even though life stinks. Yes, we absolutely can praise the Lord, but we also need space to be able to get down in some of the dirt of lament that happens in places like community group. So I would encourage you, find a group, explore, get into a group. And one final step of growth and transformation is serve. Serve. And this one in particular, I would encourage all of you, if you want to click that, if you're not already serving the village in some way, get involved. And I guarantee you some of the things that you might be available for, you're, that's way below your pay grade. You are like so equipped. But there's no minuscule task at the village because all of it helps to create a place where more people can experience this transformation. So I want to welcome you because we're talking about transformation. You can't be transformed into Jesus' image if you're not serving because Jesus was a servant. So serve, get involved, find some way to be part of this great work here as you're able. So again, our mission is transforming lives, transforming communities. We've unpacked that. Transformation is the key word because, again, it doesn't just stop with you. I want to see your life transformed, guys. That brings me great joy. But what really takes it to, like, next level is when I know all the people that you're representing in our city. The people who don't know Jesus. I'm, I, I have so many beautiful stories that in, the, in the 15 years here. This was a little while back. I remember I met this one young woman who came to church, and I asked her, how, how, how did you find this place? And she's like, oh, my classmate over there. I'm really? You know her? And basically the story was there was a young woman who had started, a graduate student had started to come to village, and then she, you know, she was new in the program, so she met another classmate, and they just started to get really clicked, right? Nothing about religion. They just clicked as friends. It was beautiful. But this other friend would keep asking her, hey, you want to hang out this time? And she's like, oh, yeah, that's great, but I'm going, to, I'm going to church that day. Oh, really? And she would just keep mentioning that she was in different church activities, especially worship. And finally, she just said, hey, would you like to come with me sometime? You know, you never think someone's going to say yes, but the other one was like, sure, I'll check it out. And she came, and something happened where she heard, I think she had some religious background, but she would say she was not a person of faith. Something clicked where Jesus became real for her, and she received Jesus, and she even got baptized at the church. And guys, that is amazing when we recognize you are not where you are by accident. And some of the idols of our age tell you you're where you are so you can kill it in this world and make something of yourself. Cool, do that, but do it also recognizing that you are purposely placed where you are in joys, but also in hardship. But ask God to give you Acts 17 eyes for those around you. Because I hope your life is transformed as the village, but guys, again, your transformation never stops at you. So I'm going to invite our worship team up as we respond. If you want to stand with us. As we get ready to sing and pray, we're also going to invite you, if you follow Jesus, 
to come to the table during this first song where we receive the Lord's Supper, the communion, and wait after the first song, we take it all together as a community. So we can do that, but I, would, I want to give you one other thing to consider as we're worshiping here. Um, and this is because we can just move on quickly. Sometimes when you think of next steps, you might not think of this one. While we're singing here, you might want to do it out loud or you can do it quietly. God can hear. But if you're in a place where your heart is dry, maybe your life is cold, maybe you feel like you've stagnated, I think it's very appropriate to cry out to God, say, God, change me. God, if all of this is true and you're faithful, please change me. Because my heart is cold. I can't forgive. I'm falling into um, unhelpful patterns and behaviors. I don't even like people in church. Something's happening. God, can you change me? And I guarantee you, even if it doesn't look exactly the way you would think, God will answer that prayer. So maybe for you, even as you do communion, maybe your cry can be, God, would you change me? And as you sing, as you pray, trust that God wants to change you because it's not just about you. His whole name is at stake for you to go forth. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. I thank you for so many here that already embody this, that our lives want to experience transformation. But Lord, as you remind us, it's not just so it would stay with us to have us to have a nice holy huddle here, but it's to launch us out to different spaces throughout this wonderful city, but even beyond, Lord, to the ends of the earth, that people might know you're real, Lord. It might not seem spectacular, but it's so powerful because it's how it's been done for thousands of years. It would be through transformed lives displaying the reconciling power of Jesus. So Lord, do that in us right here for your glory. And I pray that you're saving some of us, but Lord, you're also taking some of us who know salvation and rekindling our hearts because we've lost it. And bring us back to you, God. Thank you for your faithfulness, Jesus, that you love your church. You will give us everything we need in you, especially your own presence. So during this song, let's sing, let's pray, and come receive the elements if that's applicable to you, and we'll take that together.